The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Global equity markets are under pressure as stock futures point to extended losses at the open this morning. Crude is surging, oil hitting its highest level since 2008, and the U.S. and its allies way banning Russian oil imports. In Ukraine, fighting entering its 12th day as Russia steps up its focus on populated city centers. And as fighting continues, the corporate exodus grows. More companies this morning cutting ties with Moscow. And it's not just energy hitting multi-year highs. Food prices are also on the rise and likely heading higher still. It's Monday, March 7th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. A very busy market day ahead here kicking off on this Monday morning. Let's take a look at those U.S. stock futures that are indicating a lower open this morning here as we're digesting more headlines coming to us from overseas. Dow Jones Natural Average down 463 points. S&P 500 off more than 62. And the Nasdaq looking to open lower by 222 points. Another rough week for the markets with the Dow extending its weekly losing streak to four. The Nasdaq NASDAQ and the Russell 2000 coming off their worst weeks since January. And as of this morning, the Dow is now 9% off its all-time record high. The S&P off more than 10%. The Nasdaq off 17.8% and the Russell 2000 off 18.6%. Crude oil surging. Last night, U.S. benchmark WTI and European Brent were trading above $130 a barrel, their highest level since 2008. You can see WTI is higher by more than 6%. That's good for more than $7 at $122.97, almost $123. And you've got ice Brent crude futures higher by 100 or higher at $125, higher by $7 for greater than 6%. Everything looks like to be trading near these fresh all-time highs as we're looking at the price of oil and the energy markets. So we have to keep our eyes on this very closely as the day moves forward, as we potentially get more headlines out of Europe and what may be going on with us banning Russian crude oil imports. Much of that, though, still coming ahead on the show today. And it's not just oil, metals. Just look at the whole commodity complex also popping with copper and palladium hitting all-time highs. Copper higher by 1%, just under $5. Gold is hitting above the $2,000 mark, almost 2% higher. And palladium higher by almost 12.5%. So we got to get a check on things and how everything is looking overseas. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom. Rosanna, good morning. Very busy for you as well. 
Yeah, absolutely, Courtney. We were warned about all of those effects you were talking about with raw materials, metals and energy for a long time before this conflict uh, really ramped up in the last two weeks or so, and we're seeing it play out this morning. We inherited a very weak lead from Asia. In Europe, we carried that on. The FTSE 100 is, if we can call it that, the outperformer. It's up, down, rather, by only, I say that in inverted commas, one and six-tenths of a percent. That's because there's a number of miners and energy giants in this, and with those spiking commodities, prices. It's helping it uh, spare it some of these losses that we're seeing, for example, in Paris with the CACA haunt down just under 3.5%. The DAX one to watch as well. It's been down by 4% as much in this session so far on Monday, and it's heading into official bear market territory, down from highs that it saw earlier in January. And across the board here in Europe, we are seeing massive sell-offs, lows that we haven't seen for about a year. Let's give you a look at sectors, though, because no big surprises, oil and gas and basic resources, the only sectors in the green so far here in Europe today, oil and gas up by two and eight tenths of a percent. You mentioned there Brent crude WTI both above $130 a barrel throughout the night. Autos, banks, retail all faring very badly. Banks is a story we've been watching closely down by around 5% today. A number of European lenders enmeshed somehow in the Russian uh, financial system. So with sanctions coming in, there's heavy compliance that needs to be taken care of, but also this disentangling from this reliance. Even if it was small, even if exposure was small to Russia, it is still complicated for banks here in Europe. So you're seeing a lot of this across the board, a lot of red, Courtney. Rosanna, thank you very much for keeping us updated. There is an awful lot of red. To the latest out of Ukraine as the fighting enters its 12th day today. Russian forces intensifying their offensive across Ukraine, especially on populated city centers, pushing closer towards Kyiv and Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv. Renewed focus also on the country's southernmost cities, including Odessa. According to senior U.S. defense officials, it is the troops that are amassed on the Russian border. Russia has now committed nearly 95 percent of those fighting forces inside Ukraine. Ongoing attention on the humanitarian crisis. Russia this morning agreeing to open, quote, humanitarian corridors from the cities outside of Kiev, Maripol, Kharkiv and Sumy. The reports from the ground note continued shelling and rocket fire in those areas. The limited ceasefire announcement follows two failed attempts to evacuate citizens from Maripol, from which the Red Cross estimated 200,000 people were trying to flee. Russia and Ukraine blame each other for the failure of that effort. As the fighting continues overseas, the U.S. and its European allies are discussing banning imports of Russian oil and natural gas, with Europe reportedly becoming more open to the idea in the last 36 hours. In an effort to shore up U.S. crude supplies, reports this morning the U.S. is holding talks with Venezuela as a possible source for more oil. This is how Speaker Nancy Pelosi says Congress intends to enact a $10 billion aid package for Ukraine as soon as this week. Tracking the ongoing corporate backlash this morning as well. And what could likely deal a massive financial blow to Russia's economy, Visa, MasterCard, American Express and PayPal say they've all suspended operations in Russia. KPMG and PwC are cutting ties with Russia, with the former noting they have over 4,500 people living and working in the affected areas. What's more, TikTok and Netflix say they are suspending their services inside Russia. Well, amid all of this breaking news, with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken making comments following his meetings with leaders in Lithuania, that sit-down comes as Blinken takes part in a tour of the Baltic states amid Russia's continued invasion of Ukraine. He is live right now speaking, Blinken reiterating the U.S. commitment to the security of the region. 
Blinken also commending Lithuania for its continued contributions and commitments to NATO. We'll bring you the headlines out of this event, as you can see here, and get a live report from Steve Sedgwick, who is in Lithuania. In November, we created a $600 million Export-import bank. Uh, we are going to go more to talk about what is going on in the global markets and specifically here in the United States ahead of the U.S. market open. We are joined now by two of our market guests. We're joined by Vance Howard of Howard Capital Management. He's CEO and portfolio manager there. And Blake Gwynn is head of U.S. rate strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Uh, Vance, let me start with you. Of course, this news breaking overnight about what's going on potentially with us considering sanctioning Russian oil, no longer taking imports of Russian oil. You can see that the Dow futures, the Nasdaq futures, S&P futures really across the board pointing to a sharply negative open. How should investors be digesting this information as they're waking up to this news this morning? Well, you know, there's not a lot they can do about it now. You know, we had a sell signal back in the latter part of January, on January 19th. So we're sitting in about 30, 35% cash right now out of the $5 billion I trade. We've got about $1.6, $1.7 billion in cash. Uh, you know, the market's in a downtrend, and uh, it's, I don't, we don't ever fight the trend at my firm. You know, we're hearing all this bad news, and it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It's it's uh, you know we're in a bad market. The market's got COVID right now. Whether it's got a mild case, a moderate case, or we're headed to the hospital, I don't know. But it's not just Ukraine. It's not just Russia. It's a number of other factors too. I would be very very cautious here. I would not be buying anything right now until the HCM byline turns positive. But you know, on the brighter side of things is there's there's creating a lot of deals out there too. I mean, if you look at AMD and you look at uh, Salesforce. I mean, sooner or later, these things are going to drop to the point they're not a growth stock anymore. They're a value stock because they've really come off their highs. So it's creating some opportunity, but there's a lot of uncertainty right now. AMD is lower by about 2% here this morning before trade opens. NVIDIA down about 3%, some of uh, those thoughts there. And, and then before we, we uh, br- bring in Blake, can I just ask you, as we are waking up to this news, I understand you're saying there's nothing we can do about it. Of course, there's nothing we as individual investors can do about it. But how should we be positioned when we're looking at stocks and sectors? Certainly the energy market is going to be affected. But what about the trickle down all the way to, say, to consumer discretionary? Is that an area where you would be holding off on right now until we know the impacts of the price of higher oil and what that means for consumer discretionary spending. Well, we've got our positions on and, you know, I I just wouldn't nibble here. I mean, to fight the trend right now is just it's pain and stress and a a loss of money. And I I just wouldn't do it. I mean, sit on some cash, build up some cash right now. Let this thing clear itself through. I mean, we may not be at the end of this. We may be be at the beginning of a bear market for all we know. I mean, we may have 10, 20 percent to go. And maybe just this Ukraine issues is just the symptoms of more pain to come. But I, I would be sitting here getting my buy list ready. I'd be sitting here looking for the trend, trend to change up, whether that's next week or next month or, you know, next two or three quarters out. I don't know when that's going to turn. It will turn sooner or later, and there's going to be some terrific opportunities. But for right now, show some discipline. And discipline right now is get your buy list out and don't be buying anything until the trend change, it changes. Blake, I want to bring you into this conversation here. We heard from Fed Chair Jay Powell, and he really telegraphed things in quite a straightforward way, a way in which many of us were surprised about what the Fed is going to do at the meeting. It looks as if 50 basis points of a rate hike is off the table to begin here. If we are now more or less pretty sure that 25 basis points is the way to go, how should we be positioned, knowing that there's still so much uncertainty that's going on with Russia and Ukraine, even if the Fed Chair didn't seem all that concerned about it. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I, it, it's worth kind of pointing out. I mean, we've never heard anything like that from a Fed chair before. So, um, you know, the, the, the kind of certainty we have going into this meeting is, um, you know, kind of certainty I don't think we've ever really had into a, a, a Fed meeting. So, you know, this kind of shock and awe path that Bullard had talked about with 50 basis points, um, you know, 100 basis points by July, it does seem like those outcomes have come off the table to some degree. But now you also have to contend, um, you know, with some of the general uncertainty and the risk off, um, you know, that's come out of the Russia situation. And we saw that last week um, coming into the week started, um, you know, started off on a very weak foot. Um, I think, you know, the, the rally we had in Treasury started to spill over into something more a liquidity breakdown. Uh, we saw a lot of positions that had been short based on this kind of aggressive path of Fed hikes come off the table. A lot of that rebounded in the week. So right now, I think there's a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty as markets really try to figure out what this means. And I think even for the Fed themselves, you heard from Powell this week, it seems like they're really not sure which way this goes. On the one hand, you could think, um, you know, the situation is dovish. You know, mm-hmm. it's a bigger drag on growth. Um, high energy prices start to cut into consumers' uh, pocketbooks and ability to spend other places. Um, on the other side, you know, it, it could be very hawkish. Um, you know, we, we see a bigger risk to inflation. The longer um, energy prices, commodity prices stay high, the more chance that starts to spill into the core sectors that I think, um, you know, the, the Fed pays a lot more attention to. So I think right now people are just trying to gather some more information, figure out what the long, you know, the long haul for this is going to be and, and what the impacts uh, are going to be on uh, the curve and, and various asset classes. There's so much information flying around here this morning. Gentlemen, thank you for helping us try to distill it. We have to leave it there because we've got a lot of news to get through. Vance Howard and Blake Gwen. Well, when we come back, oil shocker as crude hits its highest level in 14 years. What John Kilduff says it could mean for prices at the pump in the days ahead. Plus, much more on the markets, including big tech's big weakness. Where Wedbush's Joel Kaluna says investors can still find some value. And why he says ARK's Kathy Wood's portfolio remains a train wreck. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back. Energy prices are absolutely surging right now. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average, NASDAQ and S&P 500 futures are all pointing to a sharply lower open here, down to 450 points lower on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. NASDAQ lower by more than 200 points. Take a look at a number of airline stocks also lower as the price of oil and energy surges. American Airlines down 3%, Delta down 3%, United Airlines and Southwest down almost 
4%. Bank stocks also lower. You can see financials getting hit hard. J.P. Morgan Chase down by 2.5%. Bank of America down 2%. Morgan Stanley is the best of the bunch, down just about a half a percent. Wells Fargo down 2.5%. Citigroup down almost 4%. Still on deck, it is not just energy prices. Food and labor prices are also surging. We speak with one restaurateur on the front lines of the price hikes and how he is handling the unprecedented crisis. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. As we mentioned, energy prices continue to surge as fears surrounding Russia's Russia's energy exports hit the markets once again. WTI surging past $130 a barrel overnight. We are back down right now, but still above $122 a barrel. That's good for a 6% move. Brent futures also higher by almost 6% to just below $125 a barrel. And when the commodities markets opened Sunday evening, crude oil prices surged to levels not seen since 2008, as we mentioned, surpassing $130 a barrel for both WTI and crude. Natural gas prices also hitting an all-time high, along with heating oil price futures both in Europe and in the U.S. Your next guest says if these price surges continue, many U.S. states could see gas prices rise above $5 a barrel. Many states are $5 a gallon, I should say. Many states are already there. Let's bring in John Kilduff. He's a founding partner of Again Capital and a CNBC contributor. John, thank you so much for joining us here today. For those that didn't follow all the developments overnight or perhaps are just waking up and seeing the prices now back down, but certainly over $130 a barrel overnight, what happened? Why is this going on because of the talk of potentially sanctioning or cutting off Russian imports? Isn't it only about 8% of what we import? First of all, as far as what we import, uh, I think this has been kind of overblown, Courtney. Uh, It's really de minimis uh, in terms of our overall uh, net imports. We get the bulk of our crude oil from Canada. This was been, and and for years, for about a decade, we didn't import a single barrel of crude oil from Russia. It's only in the past uh, year or two that the occasional Russian tanker, because it was priced well or what have you, would pull up to the Gulf, discharge, and go on its way, and would work out to a couple of hundred thousand barrels. Um, a, a, a day just because of the size of the VLCC. So, you know, 
this isn't the problem. The, the real problem is a global one in that we can't afford to lose the, the bulk of the Russian oil production and exports, supplies to Europe and supplies to other countries, including China, uh, because while you would think and it would seem that the Chinese won't go along with the sanctions, it turns out to a degree they already are. They're already backing away from other Russian exports uh, and uh, look to be fearful of having their companies and their banks uh, stare down Western sanctions and not be able to do business with the West. So China's kind of caught here. So it became a real reality over the weekend that, in fact, the Western countries, which have carved out Russian crude oil so far, were in fact going to do it. And in a way, they have no choice given all the levers that the Russians are pulling here uh, in terms of escalating this situation. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost a horrible thought that any of us would sit here and import Russian crude oil when you see what the Russians are doing to the Ukrainians right now. It's almost disgusting. That being said, there are some headlines suggesting that we may be looking to Venezuela to fill in some of those gaps. It's not exactly like Venezuela is on the top of the list, too, when it comes to human rights. What do you make of, of that situation? No, it's not, it's not going to be a proud moment uh, in a lot of ways, I, I think, Courtney, when it comes to our, our crude oil supplies in the coming months. We're also in the process of cutting a, a potential deal with the Iranians, who are going to gain a huge windfall in terms of uh, billions of dollars that are, that are being held in countries like South Korea. Uh, and the Venezuelan situation is another one. Uh, one other problem, by the way, it's as, as if there isn't enough, there's a major oil outage now in Libya, uh, which is another source of crude oil that we can ill afford to lose, which is also feeding into this narrative. Mm. Uh, when crude oil gets into modes like this, either to the downside, when we went to negative 40, or now where we are nearing the 2008 highs, uh, it's sort of like uh, when I, I like to analogize it to when a team goes on a championship run, right? And then s some gentleman or lady at the end of the bench comes in and scores that basket out of nowhere and they win the championship. That's the kind of mode we're in right now. Mm -hmm. There's going to continue to be these jolts to the market in terms of, say, refinery outages or supply outages or other things that occur that are just, it's just going to keep feeding into this thing now because every little misstep with oil production or gasoline production is only going to get magnified because our backs are up against the wall uh, supply-wise. We've got to talk about what this means for the prices at the pump with many Americans really being jolted by the, some of the numbers we see. Jane Wells sent us a photo of a, of a gas pump in Thousand Oaks, California at $5.70 a gallon. What's realistic and how long could these shocks last? Oh, Court, I mean, uh, over the weekend, social media was just filled, especially from California, with prices even higher than that. Six fifty. I think I saw a $7 handle. Uh, but I will say, I've been in this business a, a while now, and I was uh, uh, driving around northern New Jersey, which is known for its lower gas prices, and I was struck by seeing uh, shell stations having 469 a gallon. It was a huge jump uh, just from Friday. And so that's the kind of jarring uh, uh, pump reality everyone is going to be facing here uh, starting today and, and throughout this week. Late last week on the New York Mercantile Exchange, the prices that you know, we follow here more mm -hmm. you know, closely, we were leaping 15 cents a day uh, at times. Mm -hmm. And so it was only a, a matter of time before that wholesale barge quantity price worked its way into the pump. And so that's what you're going to be seeing this week. Wow. And this is going to be a big hit to consumer sentiment. And this is also going to be a, a hit to the U.S. economy. This is going to shave upwards of maybe a full point or two uh, off GDP the way this price spike has gone, especially if it lasts. 
That is certainly some of the fears of the market, I believe. John Kildoff, thank you for joining us. Stay close as the situation develops. Thanks. And everyone, make sure to catch Brian Sullivan throughout the day here on CNBC at the 40th annual Sarah Week. He'll be chatting with some of the biggest names in energy, including the CEOs of Hess, Occidental, ConocoPhillips, Pioneer Natural Resources, and more. Those conversations here on Worldwide Exchange and on CNBC today and tomorrow. Make sure to tune in and follow that closely. For now, let's get a check on some of the morning's other top stories. Silvana Hanau is here. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Courtney. Good morning. Well, let's get to some of your top stories uh, this morning. Carl Icahn exiting his position in Occidental Petroleum after nearly three years, according to the Wall Street Journal. The activist investor has sold the remainder of what was about a 10% stake in the oil giant, the Wall Street Journal also estimating that Icon realized about a profit of about $1 billion on that investment. Meanwhile, Berkshire Hathaway revealing in an SEC filing that it has a new stake in Occidental valued right now at about $5 billion. Shell is defending its purchase of 100,000 metric tons of crude oil from Russia, saying the decision was, quote, difficult. The crude was reportedly bought at a record discount and did not violate any Western sanctions. Shell saying it had no other option but to make the purchase in order to avoid a supply disruption to Europe. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond are soaring this morning. This comes on news Chewy co-founder Ryan Cohen has taken a 9.8% stake in the retailer and is pushing for change. He's calling for Bed Bath & Beyond to update its turnaround plan and explore a sale or spinoff of its bye-bye baby business, Courtney. Big, big move there in shares of Bed Bath & Beyond, Savannah. We're going to watch that one closely. Well, as we head to break, continue to watch the action in the Russian ruble falling again this morning versus the dollar. Public equity trading in Moscow remains closed as Russia looks to shore up the currency in the latest move. In accordance with its new capital controls, Vladimir Putin has decreed that Russia and Russian companies may pay bondholders but only in rubles, this according to J.P. Morgan. Russia has $117 million worth of coupons on dollar bonds coming due on March 16th that don't have the option to be paid in rubles. Companies with upcoming maturities of dollar-denominated notes include state oil producer Rosneft and state-controlled energy giant Gazprom. If Russia decides to pay any of these maturities in rubles, it would be characterized as a default, according to J.P. Morgan. We're back after this. Global markets once again under pressure, with stocks here in the U.S. set to continue their losing streaks. Futures are lower. A different story for oil. Prices spiking over the potential of a Western ban on Russian crude, with WTI surging to its highest level in 13 years. And Russia pledging to restart a temporary pause in the fighting in Ukraine to allow residents to flee as it continues its all-out assault on key cities. We're live in Ukraine with the latest. It's Monday, March 7th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Welcome back. I am Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. Let's get you a check on how your money and investments are looking right now. As we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour, stock futures decidedly lower across the board. Dow Jones Industrial Average actually taking a bit of a leg lower here in the last couple minutes, down by more than 500 points, at least the indication when that opening bell sounds, that's where we'll be. S&P 500 down more than 67 points, and the Nasdaq off 200 
and 33 points. Another tough week for the markets as we enter the new trading session. The Dow is now 9% off all-time record highs. The S&P off 10% and the Nasdaq off nearly 18%. The Russell 2000 also off more than 18.5%. It is a different story for oil, surging on word that the U.S. and Western allies are weighing banning Russian crude imports. That's pushing U.S. benchmark WTI and European Brent over $130 a barrel, at least at one point over the weekend. That's their highest level since 2008. You can see the WTI is trading right now higher by almost 6.5% at $123 a barrel, and Brent crude is higher by almost uh, 7%, and that's at $126 a barrel. Our Bob Gasoline, also near fresh all-time highs. And, of course, all of this pain is trickling down to prices at the pump, but our Bob Gas higher by about 5%. Now let's move to the latest developments in the fighting in Ukraine on day 12 of Russia's invasion. Moscow this morning agreeing to open, quote, humanitarian corridors to allow residents from several key cities that have been in the center of the ongoing fighting to flee. But reports on the ground say that shelling and rocket fire continue in those areas. Russia continuing its all-out assault on key cities in Ukraine over the weekend, pushing closer towards the capital of Kiev and Russia's second largest city of Kharkiv. Forces also ramping up their attacks on Ukraine's southern cities, including Odessa. NBC's Molly Hunter joins us now from Lviv in the western part of Ukraine. Molly, what's the latest? Hey, Courtney, that's right. So we woke up this morning with an announcement, not an agreement, an announcement from the Russian uh, Ministry of Defense. It says uh, they are offering a ceasefire. They are offering four humanitarian corridors from Kiev, from Mariupol, from Kharkiv and from Sumy. The problem for the Ukrainians is that the Russian announcement suggested uh, humanitarian corridors to Belarus and Russia. Now, we didn't hear anything from the Ukrainians or the ICRC, which has been brokering and facilitating between the two parties for a couple of hours. We just heard from the Ukrainian side. The vice prime minister just held a briefing in Kyiv, and she says this is unacceptable. Our people won't go to Belarus or Russia. So now, apparently, Ukraine has sent proposals back highlighting a couple more cities, but with evacuation with humanitarian corridors uh, heading to the west, excuse me, to the west, to Lviv, where I am. Now, we are chasing the ICRC uh, for any kind of confirmation. They have been brokering uh, these ceasefires between uh, the two parties. Both ceasefires over the weekend, though, in Mariupol uh, fell down and were shattered within hours because of Russian shelling. Courtney? Molly, you're saying here that uh, Ukraine is not interested in sending its citizens to Belarus and Russia. Uh, is there any indication that there could be other options? I mean, will Russia honor anything about these humanitarian corridors if, if in other areas? Yeah, Ukraine definitely not interested in what amounts to essentially a state kidnapping to send their people into uh, enemy territory. They have uh, sent back proposals which uh, lay out routes that go west uh, to the safety uh, of the western part of this country. We'll see if Russia agrees. We do have to look to Russia's recent military past, of course, Courtney. When you look at Syria and any of the ceasefires that the Syrian forces and Russian forces agreed to there, it was really just an opportunity for the Russian forces to regroup, to rearm and plan their next offensive. They broke both ceasefires in Mariupol. So I think um, I don't know if there's much optimism on the Ukrainian side, whether or not uh, they will agree to it. But uh, there are a lot of civilians, according to the ICRC, 200,000 just in Mariupol, that southeastern city, that are desperate and need to get out to safety. Courtney? And Molly, you're there in Lviv. It seems like most of the Russian offensive is focused on the central and southern parts of the country. What's it like where you are? 
Yeah, absolutely. So they are kind of surrounding Kyiv. We've been talking about that convoy uh, around the capital city. Uh, they are now trying to really consolidate. Russian forces are trying to consolidate those Black Sea cities. Apparently, uh, their next stop, and President Zelensky has been warning about this for a couple of days, is Odessa. All the way in the west in Lviv, where we are, this is the destination of safety for anyone fleeing their houses, their homes in the east. It's also the bouncing off point for anyone then going on to Poland, to other countries, uh, getting out of the country. Uh, the big fear, of course, for everyone, I'm just looking around, it is really, really crowded. A lot of residents, a lot of refugees walking around with suitcases, and a lot of IDPs. Not everyone wants to leave. There are people here, Courtney, we've been talking to, who want to stay and fight. They want to wait it out. Uh, they believe in their country, though I think as ceasefires continue to fall apart, as the bombardments continue, as they watch uh, suburbs and cities and villages be flattened by Russian forces, I think that decision to stay uh, or not to say becomes much, much harder for a lot of the mothers and the families we're meeting. Courtney. Absolutely. Molly Hunter, please stay safe there yourself as well. Thank you for joining us. Well, back on Wall Street, investors bracing for more pain with U.S. stock futures lower across the board and getting a little bit worse here in the last hour or so. Dow Jones Industrial Average indicated to open lower by about 500 points. NASDAQ lower by 225 points because tech is coming off an especially hard week, with the NASDAQ falling nearly 2.8 percent last week, sitting 18 percent below its all-time high, hovering just above bear market territory, which would be, of course, 20 percent off the most recent high. Names you know, Netflix, Meta, Tesla, and Amazon, all down big from their most recent highs. Joining me now, Wedbush Securities Head of Technology and Media Training, Joel Kaluna. Joel, thank you very much for joining us here. Obviously, we had been talking for so long about tech valuations being very stretched. We just ran through a bunch of data points about how we've been selling off consistently. Is now a good entry point or just too dangerous to be catching falling knives here? Yeah, good morning, Courtney. Thanks for having me on. I mean, yeah, right right now, I mean, there's nothing about this tape that's saying you, ha you have to kind of jump in this morning. You know, maybe we'll get some sort of bottom, you know, at some point as, as the day progresses. But again, you know, waking up to another barrage of negative headlines with inflationary pressures and fears just kind of ratcheting higher uh, with, with, with crude kind of doing what it's doing. Uh, but I mean, you know, tech growth and momentum sentiment has been terrible now since since late November, early December when Powell and the Fed really shifted their, their messaging on their policy moving forward. And and you can just go back and look at the charts. A lot of these big these big winners that we saw coming out you know, during COVID and coming out of. And there's just really no no risk appetite and no bid for for vast pockets of technology. And the reality is that kind of, uh, you know, the unwinding of COVID has been growth has been slowing. And those days of multiple expansion have come to a screeching halt. And we've just really been seeing, you know, multiple compression as that kind of can work in reverse, uh, the reverse end. So talking to my clients, I mean, there's obviously a lot of pain on a daily basis. There's been a lot more focus in, in 2022 of guys managing positions versus looking for new ideas. Um, with that said, it, look, it, it does feel like buyers are higher for a lot of stocks. And and, and again, that's been a strategy. If, if, if you've been a little bit more patient up to this point, especially, it's been paying off. So. I don't think there's, there's any rush to, to jump in headfirst into anything unless there's a little bit of value to, towards it or it's a theme that you really believe in moving forward. What if you have some cash to put to work? What if you want to jump in? You want to take some risks. Are there names you would recommend buying? Yeah, I mean, within, within tech, I mean, I still I know Dan Ives is on the program, you know, eight times a week. It feels like cybersecurity has been a big focus here at Wedbush. Um, again, things were, you know, the group was, ex was experiencing massive growth even before the Russian-Ukraine 
kind of situation erupted. So I look for names like Palo Alto. Uh, they're obviously a leader in next-gen security. Um, SailPoint uh, as well. They're, they do identity and zero-trust architecture. So cybersecurity is a place you want to have exposure to. Um, you're only going to see CIOs kind of continue to, to, to spend there. And then maybe moving down a little bit, large cap value, Cisco, I view it as a winner from kind of a hybrid work environment moving forward. They have record backlog, you know, $15 billion buyback won't hurt either. I just think you want to keep it very simple um, and avoid the names really farther out in the risk curve, whether it's SPACs, the Kathy Woodstocks, Chinese internets, et cetera. So the Kathy Woodstocks, not a, not a place where you'd be playing, even though so many people follow her every move very closely? Yeah, I mean that's that's what's kind of scary about it. I mean, I don't I don't think I'd buy our flagship with your money. I mean, I think uh, her performance over fifty the last fifty two weeks says it all. She's trailed the Nasdaq by by fifty one percent coming into this morning. That's pretty astounding for a long only to do. Uh, the Nasdaq I think's up three percent over the past year, and and, and again she's down forty eight percent. And and I think what the last twelve months has told us about Kathy Wood. Um, is that there's just literally there's zero risk management policy in place. There's no process. Um, and you can look through her top holdings, whether it's a Teladoc, a Zoom, a Roku, uh, you know, these stocks have just been in reversing and suffering from, you know, obviously all the, neg- the, the negative impacts of, of, of tech coming out of COVID. And she's stuck with them. She bought DocuSign on the blow up in December. And then she peeled out of that really, really relatively quickly. That stock's down 40%. She bought Twitter. On, on the most recent blow up a couple quarters ago as well, and has since been peeling out of that. So it seems like the, the, the strategy of averaging down, it never works. And, and she's sort of the poster child for that. And, and she's been kind of going on about people are shorting innovation. Well, I don't, I don't think these companies are, are that innovative to some degree. They benefited from, from COVID, you know, a huge you know, increase in demand and, and, and kind of multiple you know, surging higher. And now they're all suffering from the same, the same catalyst, but they're heading in the wrong direction. Thank you very much, Joel. Very pointed thoughts. Always appreciate that direct commentary. Joel Colina, thank you for being with us. Well, coming up, the cost of going out to eat quickly rising as restaurants grapple with surging costs on just about everything. We talked to one restaurateur. I'm navigating that rise while trying to bounce back from COVID. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Get a check on your S&P laggards here. Pre-market, Penn National Gaming down 6%. Carnival Corporation off more than 5 Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise Line, Las Vegas Sands all down more than 4%. As the morning gets going here, get a check on cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin down about 1.5%, but still above $38,000. Ether down more than 3%. Ripple is the one cryptocurrency here that is higher by about 1%. There has been a single keyword that has been front and center for investors and consumers, and it is inflation. From energy to food costs, prices are at or near all-time record highs, and the surge in prices has been pretty sudden. Just take a look at the year-to-date moves. Wheat up up 67 percent, corn up 30 percent, milk up 22 percent, soybeans up 26 percent. Joining me now is someone on the front lines of these price spikes and making some pretty tough calls as a result. Tommy Hall is the CEO of the Hall Management Group, operating eight dining venues in South Carolina and set to open a ninth in Nashville this spring, one of the best cities there is out there, in my opinion. Tommy, good morning and thank you so much for joining us. Look, I can imagine this is only just another blow as you're trying to continue to ramp up your business after we're all trying to reemerge after COVID. I guess just to get started, what is the dining traffic looking like in your restaurants? 
the dining traffic is amazing. Okay, it's it's a wild time right now. We just had a record wine and food festival here in Charleston last weekend. Two weeks ago, our Southeastern Wildlife Expo, record crowds. So the demand is there. The weather's great now in the southeast. And uh, what the issue we're having right now is staffing. We got to staff these restaurants. And what, what, what kind of staffing issues are you having? Are you having trouble hiring? Are you having people trouble people showing up? Is it wages? What is it? You know, a little bit of both. You know, uh, it's just it's a wild time out there right now. Front of the house, back of the house. It was just the staffing levels. Pre-pandemic, we put an ad out. Uh, maybe 10, 10 uh, people would apply. Five would show up for a job. Today, maybe three will apply for a job. Maybe one will show up if we're lucky. And so in order to attract those staff, are you having to raise your wages? Absolutely. We got to be competitive right now. Uh, starting income for you know maybe a first-time worker used to be maybe around a $12, $13 an hour range. Now we're looking at $15, $16. But that's pushing everybody else up to, to the $20 to $22 an hour range. And is that is that kitchen staff, I assume? Because if you're a server, you're still largely working on tips. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the, uh, mostly back of the house. Okay. And then support staff as well. Let's talk about uh, your input prices. I can imagine that the price of food, of course, is going up, but maybe also other prices, other surcharges you're seeing on bills from vendors that are bringing food and supplies in as they're having to pay more for things like gas prices. What are your input costs looking like right now before you even consider the prices that go out on the menu to, to diners? Yeah, no, cost of goods are up. We're up almost 10 percent um, in climbing. You know, I was just watching your, your segment before. We're watching that carefully. Corn, wheat. All that stuff affects. I'm in the steak business, and our, our number one, you know, item we sell is, is filet mignon, and and we got we got you know watch that cost. I don't want to uh, outprice ourselves in the market. Uh, I want guests to feel comfortable coming in, and uh, so we're watching it closely. So labor's rising up. You know, yeah, definitely the cost of just doing business every day is tough. But the great thing is though, demand is there. So we got to staff our restaurants and uh, put people back to work, and that's going to help help you know, ease a lot of the burden up right now. What are you doing then for prices? If your costs are up 10%, are you raising prices by 10%? So we did, yes, ma'am. We raised about 8% last year. We did two price increases. Typically, it's about one a year. So we did two last year. You know, we're, we're probably close to doing another one right now. But I'm just an old school restaurateur. It's hard to ask for 50 bucks for a piece of salmon. Uh, you know, but we, you know, we, we may have to adjust with the times today. And obviously, you, you are selling steak and some higher-priced menu items, so perhaps your clientele is not as sensitive to the price of gas, but we've been talking a lot about the price of energy here today. It's costing us all more to heat our homes, those of us that live in colder areas, and, of course, to drive our cars wherever we're going. Is that at all an impact to the business? Does that hurt your demand, your traffic? You know, you know we're definitely a big drive market in the southeast, so people getting to us from Charlotte, Atlanta, uh, you know, the north, northeast as well coming down. So, yes, absolutely. I'm scared about that. That does make me nervous. Are they going to be comfortable getting on the roads the next few weeks to come to the, come south? But I think they are. The people are out there. They want to get out. They want to take their masks off. They want to get back to a little bit of normalcy in life right now. So we just got to staff these restaurants, control our costs, and, uh, and, and hope for the best here. Well, we wish you the best. Tommy Hall, thank you for joining us here today and laying out the picture of what you're seeing in your restaurants. Well, on deck, stocks once again facing pressure as oil takes off on word of a potential Russian crude ban by the West. Fairlead Strategies' Katie Stockton is standing by to make sense of the trading day ahead. 
and the new moves that you need to make. And a gentle reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It's on all major podcast platforms. And a programming note, be sure to catch Brian Sullivan throughout the day here today on CNBC at the 40th annual Sarah Week. He'll be chatting with some of the biggest names in energy, including the CEOs of Hess, Occidental, ConocoPhillips, Pioneer Natural Resources, and more. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get you a quick check of the futures right now. We are indicated lower for all of the major ad indices. The Dow Jones Industrial Average off by 460 points. NASDAQ down by more than 200. And S&P 500 off by about 61. It's a tough start to the new trading week. Taking shape as we're talking about futures are pointing to more selling. Let's see if that will continue in the day ahead. And the drop, of course, just comes amid oil's price spike overnight on the potential ban by Western nations of Russian oil. WTI briefly touching $130 a barrel. That's the highest level since 2008. We are below that now, just below $123 a barrel for WTI crude. But that's good for a 6% rise. Let's bring in Katie Stockton, founder of Fair Lead Strategy. Katie, I guess uh, to get you started here, what do you see in the chart of crude oil? I mean, that spike is really hard to ignore and certainly igniting some fear across markets. Well, it's a kind of environment in which we can't really focus on levels anymore. You know, resistance just doesn't matter when you have this kind of news-driven rally that has essentially gone parabolic. And the steep nature of the uptrend is obviously not sustainable, but nobody really knows when we're going to get that pivot point. So I think it's really sort of treacherous for folks that are trading crude oil right now, especially looking at today's action where we have a gap up. When you tend to see a gap up after a very steep up move, it's often exhaustive, meaning that it gives way to a consolidation phase or even in this case, potentially a very sharp pullback. When we look at crude oil, what makes us feel a little uneasy is the fact that support is down around $81 per barrel. So that's obviously a very big spread to support. Wow. Very big. Yeah. More than $40 there. And so as as this ripple effect sort of trickles through the entire market and we're seeing futures indicating a lower open, what should we be watching? Is there any levels that make sense here for resistance or otherwise on the major indices as we're really following along very closely to that price of oil that, as you say, has gone kind of parabolic? I think the major indices are essentially in support discovery mode. And what that means is that they're kind of bouncing along a level at which they tend to find buying interest. For the S&P 500, the level to watch is approximately 4,200. Momentum has actually improved since that first successful test of that support level. So I wouldn't rule out a successful test yet again here as the market tries to find its footing. Last week, or actually, I guess around February 25th, that low, we saw the biggest oversold extreme based on the DeMarc indicators for one since March of 2020. So we do have some indications that an intermediate term low may be being established by these major indices. So we'll be watching very closely momentum intraday, what we like to see on a day like today where the futures are lower. We want to see it close near the high end of the day's high-low range. And the NASDAQ, of course, of the major indices is the one that has been the most beaten up, almost near correction territory. What do you see when you look specifically at the moves in the NASDAQ and what that may mean here as we look forward to this week and going forward for higher interest rates? 
It's not really a new move at this point. I mean, we're really just retracing an oversold bounce following the corrective phase. So support is in play for the NASDAQ 100. And then if you look at the biggest constituents, of course, the FANG stocks, if you will, they all still actually have some support as well. So I I think it's a matter of making sure that we don't see downside follow through on the back of today's action. And that would suggest that support discovery is still underway. It's obviously all about these mega caps because they're going to drive the action in the major indices. And in a way, I think they're going to contribute to market sentiment. Market sentiment right now, as you can imagine, for good reasons, is right. pretty bearish, right? Absolutely. And from a perspective, we tend to look at that as a positive as much as we want to try right. to pull something positive out of this environment. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.